Hello, welcome to Focal Point. This is Gihan Pereira and I'm here as usual with Dr. Chris Pudney. G'day Chris. G'day Gihan, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, and as you know, Focal Point is all about interesting things to do with technology and the internet and the way the world's going. What are we going to talk about today, Chris? Well, you brought to my attention an article in Sydney Morning Herald uh, last week, or on the 13th, asking, is computer science dead? Which is a good question, given that you and I both have degrees in computer science. That's right. So we hope that computer science isn't dead, and I don't think it is. But the article uh, highlights a couple of interesting issues. Yeah, and you know the whole thing about um, Thomas Friedman's book, The World is Flat, talks about the fact that nowadays you can get work done all over the world, and maybe computer science, uh, both as a subject and as a career path for people, may be different than when we were doing it and when we graduated in our early 20s, which was only about three years ago, wasn't it, Chris? <laughs> we wish. Yes. That's right, yeah. The, the, the landscape has certainly changed considerably from the dot-com days and the pre-dot-com days. Um, the article highlighted to me, at least, in one respect, that there's a bit of a misperception. You're right that um, outsourcing has really taken off, particularly in IT, and I think a lot of people think that as a result of that, the prospects for computer science graduates are quite bleak, and uh, departments are seeing, not only in Australia, but uh, around the world, are seeing decline in their, their enrolments. But in fact, the reality is that uh, it's, it's difficult to get IT uh, skilled IT workers in Australia and elsewhere. Um, so there is a bit of a misperception that outsourcing has, has kind of led to the death of computer science, but um, it's kind of, it's, it's right and it's, and it's wrong. There is a lot of outsourcing of IT work, but computer science definitely is still a, a good career, I, I would have thought. So, so what do you think has led to that misperception? I think the media have focused on a lot of the negative aspects of, of um, outsourcing. So outsourcing certainly has taken off, and a lot of um, IT work in Australia and the US and, and elsewhere has been outsourced to places where it's much cheaper, like India, for, in, for instance. But the media have focused on those negative aspects of the, the, the loss of work, but uh, at the same time, there's, there's also an increasing amount of work available locally anyway, So, um, they, but that hasn't been highlighted. So the, the person in the street just gets to hear about the doom and gloom of outsourcing and, that, uh, there are, and gets the impression, therefore, that there's not much in the way of job prospects for IT graduates. I think the other thing that goes along with that is quite often when you hear about IT outsourcing, they're not really talking about outsourcing graduate skills, they're talking about, well sometimes they are, but mm. in a lot of cases they're talking about outsourcing telemarketing or call centers in IT or technology related industries like mobile phone centers are now handled by people in India. Yeah. And uh, that's not the same as outsourcing the technology that actually went into creating the mobile phone. That's right. Uh, yeah, and the other thing I think is that help desks, IT help desks are sometimes outsourced as well. And again, they're not really, help desks don't really require IT graduates to, to, uh, to perform that kind of work. Well, I've got a question for you because outsourcing is close to your heart given that your current job is an outsourced job where, well, why don't you, why don't you talk about it? That's right. So, so, so my main job, my nine-to-five job, so to speak, is uh, is work software development that I do for a UK company. So being based here in Perth, Western Australia, uh, from their point of view, it's, it's outsourced work. It's work that's taking place on the opposite side of the planet from them. So 
So, yes, <laughs> certainly an, an outsourced resource from their point of view. And, uh, and so why have they chosen to outsource you rather than, I mean, on a number of levels, why would they bother choosing you? <laughs> um, but really, like, why would they choose someone rather than somebody local? I mean, there are plenty of people with, uh, well, I mean, you've got a PhD in computer science, so there's not, it's a much smaller pool to choose from, but there's still plenty of other people in the European community who are available to who do that sort of work. So what, what makes you different? I think... I was fortunate enough to have such a narrow set of skills that um, they would have had difficulty replacing me, even if they looked um, broadly within Europe. I mean, if they looked broadly within Europe, then they would have still had it, someone outsourced from outsourced to continental Europe, let's say. Mm -hmm. But within the United Kingdom, I was working there at the time, working on site for them. And when I, when we chose to return to Perth, I said, you know, can I take my job with me and work from Perth? And they said yes because they realised that it would have been difficult with my very narrow set of skills to to um, to replace me. And plus, I've been working there for almost 18 months, so I built up a lot of knowledge of their particular way of doing work that was also valuable and difficult to to replace as well. I think that's one of the keys when we talk about outsourcing because we're going to talk about what you can do as a business owner if you want to outsource your work. One of the keys is that he, and he just, you hit the nail on the head there, Chris, that you've been working with them for 18 months. So, and you're, you're an employee. It's, it's not just somebody that they found on the internet who can do a job for them and immediately be up to speed with all the, with all the skills that are required and then at the end of the job they say goodbye and that's it and you never talk to them again. Exactly. So, when you look at outsourcing as a business, I think that's one of the things that's, that's really key and I think this, um, some businesses start off by outsourcing and then eventually when they get to a certain level they decide to insource again because they've got the stability, they know they can support, the ca they've got the cash flow to support having employees and staff rather than just outsourcing everything. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that, that knowledge that uh, is built up amongst their employees, their permanent staff, is an asset that's really something they can't afford to lose in a lot of cases. Their core business is something they don't necessarily want to outsource. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So if you're in, if you're in business, um, what is what are the things that you can outsource? What are the things that you can't, in your opinion? Well, it's the... It's those portable skills, I suppose. It's, it's things like um, web development, for instance. If you're not a web development company and you need a website put together, then um, then something like web development is an ideal kind of, of task to be advertised on the internet and, and outsourced, if necessary, to whoever comes up with the best bid. Okay, let's, let's go through that process, because both you and I have used internet services where freelance contractors make their services available and you can put projects up there and uh, people will bid on them and you can choose a bidder and get them to do the work for you. Sometimes it's a fraction of the cost of what you get done here locally. And it also doesn't have to be that you're getting jobs done in India and Malrovia or places like that which have got a very favorable exchange rate for us. But a lot of the outsourced work I get done is in the US or in the UK. Likewise, yes. So the one, the one instance where I've had this done, and that was for some writing, was uh, a writer in the US, a freelance writer there. So you're right. Um, it's whoever comes up with the best bid, not just in terms of price, obviously, but also in terms of 
the quality of, of their um, application, then um, yeah, they're, they're from all over the world. Well, we've both used one of the sites called elance.com, E-L-A-N-C-E.com. I guess it might, might be a good time to talk about our experiences. You go first. Well, the, I used Elance a couple of years ago. It was to get an e-book written. Um, so I went to Elance, I signed up, it's fairly straightforward, and I advertised my project, which was to get a book written. And, and so various people who were also registered with Elance, providers of, of, um, of writing, of written work, uh, submitted bids. Um, and um, from those, I, I made my choice. And she did the work. Uh, it was really well done, really well researched. And um, at, at the end of that, I had an e-book product uh, that um, you know took me no time to get done. It was all done by this particular author. She did the research. She did. Uh, I did some proofreading, and uh, at the end of that, uh, I had a, a product that I could sell online. And you owned that, didn't you? So it wasn't a case of you getting an author where the author owned the copyright. You made sure that the agreement said that they were a writer for you, writer for hire, and you owned the material that they produced. That's right, I did, yes. Yeah, and you know, can you remember what process you went through for picking her out of the people who responded? I, the the Elance um, system provides you with the ability to, it's a bit like eBay in some respects, that uh, um, buyers and sellers are rated based on transactions that are performed. So I, I looked at the ratings that the various um, bidders uh, had. Uh, I was able to look at some of the other projects that they'd successfully completed on the Elance system. And then um, I also asked each of the bidders, or I shortlisted them, and then from the shortlist I asked them to provide a bit more detail and gave them a bit more detail about my project, and, which in this case was about uh, writing an e-book about Siamese cats. So that helped me to further narrow down the field based on um, based on the feedback that they then gave. And also they gave some examples of uh, previous work that they'd done. Okay, so there's a number of criteria, and as you said, it's not just about the price. That's right. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happened, and the most recent job that I sent out to Elance is a friend and I starting a management consulting company, as you know, Chris, yep. and we outsourced the logo design. Okay. So we're keen to get somebody to design a logo, design our business card, design some letterhead, and even maybe do the template for the website design, and have it all consistent. So I put the job out there on Elance. And I did about, I think, about 10 o'clock one night, and um, within the next, but by the next morning, we already had half a dozen bids coming in from you know, the U.S., from Buenos Aires, from Romania, uh, from places that were awake when, while I was asleep. Yes. And within a few days, we had 18 bids from different companies and different organisations. Wow. Uh, and again, it was an interesting going through the process to see how we narrowed down to our choice. And Kathleen and I looked at them. And we chose a company that had done a lot of work on Elance. I mean, they had had more than 100 projects in the last six months, right? And as well as a high rating, but it showed that they were they were going to be around for a while. Then they were serious about what they were doing. Uh, the other thing we asked for was samples, so they showed samples of logos they created in the past, and uh, we could decide whether they were the right sort of style for us. And did you ask, were these questions you asked up front in the, uh, yes. in the description of your project? Right, so you didn't need to prompt anyone uh, 
uh, after no, made their initial bid? You said that the proactive people went a bit further and they provided samples, they provided um, details of how they worked and so on, and we didn't really have to ask for that. What we did was we put together a positioning statement about our business so that we could provide that to them so they got some idea of the sort of business that they were, that they were bidding on. Because if they, you know, if they were logo designers for children's parties, sure. that's not the sort of people that we want designing a logo for a management company aiming at high-level CEOs. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have to provide much information, and within a few days we had these 18 bids, and we chose somebody from Buenos Aires. Right. So, and, and we've been very happy. They're very professional with the way they're working. Mm-hmm. And as you said, they had they had ratings, they had feedback from other clients, and people say what a great job they've done. You know, they were quite. A, they weren't the cheapest. Um, there were quite a few who offered a lower bid, but it just didn't feel right. And you get the feel of it by just reading what they say and also what other people have said about them. Right. So, what other services have you managed to get through Elan? So you've had this graphic design, this logo design. Yes. And I've had uh, an ebook written. I've had some ebooks written as well. Right. Uh, I get a lot of my audio transcription done. So, you know, if we were converting this podcast into a special report or a or a little ebook or maybe even just a long article, I would send the recording off to Elance and somebody would transcribe it and uh, send it send back a word document. Right. And have you established any um, repeat business? If you're doing transcription, for instance, quite often, have you got repeat business that way? Yes, definitely, definitely. In fact, that's one of the things I say, Chris. I think it's one of the things that's useful if you're putting out a project. If you know that there's going to be more business coming up later on, say that. So I say I'm looking for somebody I can work with in the long term because it's probably going to be six or ten more of these this year. Right. I've done that with ghostwriting as well. So the so what you did, I think, was ask for somebody to do the research and write the book pretty much from scratch or pretty much from a list of um, questions or topics that you'd already sourced from your marketplace. Um, but I've also had people who take, then take a transcript and convert that into more of a book-style written form. Right. So they're really writers who take a recording and then convert that into a, 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 a written yeah, the sort of thing that you'd read right, without it just being a transcript from an interview. Right. More of an essay or an article. That's right. And, and again, I'll say, look, if, uh, I do an audio program in addition to this podcast. I have a subscription audio program every month. And the person who does my transcripts knows that every month I'm going to send her a one-hour audio to be transcribed. So she knows she's going to get repeat business from me. Right. Is there any obligation having established that relationship on Elance for that to, uh, for the business to further be conducted through Elance? I'm not sure what, they, what they've done recently. In the olden days, and this is only three or four years ago when I first started using it. It is the olden days on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. It's like four dog years. It's 28 years. Um, I used to always go back through Elance. Right. And I think now Elance have kind of relaxed their rules because they probably realise that people, that there, there is no obligation. And I think they just make their money on the first, say, on the first transaction. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I think it would be difficult for them to try and police as well. And, they, and you know, it's, it's not something they would want to have to chase, perhaps. They do encourage it because they encourage it by saying if you make your payment through Elance and you're covered by Elance's dispute resolution system and so on. Yeah. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of providers who will just say, well, I've got a PayPal account, can you pay me directly through there? Yeah. Um, and I don't think Elance now enforces um, 
or you know it requires that providers and suppliers go through that go through ELANs strictly speaking. Right, right. What other um, services like ELANs are there? I've heard of um, Rent-A-Coder, which I think focuses on um, software development projects, whereas ELANs has a more broad set of projects. That's right. So Rent-A-Coder, which is rentacoder.com. Uh, started off by focusing on software, but now it's expanded and now it offers a, a wide range of services just like Elance does. It does. Like it does. Okay. And see, you know, we've only talked about writing and a couple of other technical services like that, but with Elance you can get admin services, you can get graphic design, you can get legal services, secretarial, a whole bunch of things. Right. You, as you said, as you correctly said earlier on, if it's not your core business, it's something you might consider outsourcing. Yep. Another one is guru.com, G-U-R-U.com, which again offers a similar sort of service. Right, okay. I wonder whether eBay might consider something like that. How would that work in eBay? Um, I guess in the same in the same way as Elance offices. Oh, I see. You're saying instead of them only selling products, yes. they can also sell services. Yes. Yeah, and people could bid on... Um, but then it's the buyer's bidding, isn't it, rather than the seller's? Yes, it is, but it's not much of a tweaking of the... I mean, they've got the infrastructure in place, and it's obviously lucrative enough for it to support Guru.com and Rent-A-Coder and Elance.com. Yeah, you're right, you're right. They're those quite distinct companies who are all making money out of this. Mm. The other nice thing about this is that as somebody looking to outsource, you can put a project out there, and there's no obligation on you to accept any of the bids. Sure. So if you get one or two bids that you don't, you don't like, or even if you get 20 bids that you don't like, you're not forced in any way to choose one. Yep. Um, which, which does make it quite a... Uh, really, there's, there's nothing to be lost. There's everything to be gained by using one of these services. Right, that's right. What are Elance's fees these days? Elance doesn't charge you a fee. If you put a project out there, Elance doesn't charge you. It charges a percentage of the fee to the provider. So again, the disincentives are non-existent almost. It's just a matter of deciding what is not core business, what's the right kind of project to uh, to put out for tender, and then go and list it on Elance. Absolutely. You know, like I just thought about this last night, there's a... There's one of my audio programs that I, that I sent out to my subscribers a couple of months ago. I've got the transcribed from a regular transcriber, and I thought, well, I'll go through and edit it into an ebook, a special report about how to publish a profitable email newsletter. And I got about halfway through it, and it's become a bit of a bore and a bit of a drudgery for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to put it out to Elance, and it's actually perfect. It's a perfect example because I can put it out there and say, look, here's the original transcript. Here's what I've done so far. I'd like you to finish it off in the same sort of writing style. Right. So I require somebody who's a skilled writer um, who can then take my transcript and, and complete it. And for, I think, for less than $100, I will have that done. Yeah. And it just, it's just my time's worth more and my energy's worth more than that. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to uh, describing a project, what, what are the key points that you that you um, address when you're putting up a project? Oh, look, I think, Chris, the main thing is just remember that your project description is all that the providers have to bid on. 
So they, they can put a bid on there without putting a price and ask you for more information just to sort of stake their place. But in most cases, they'll bid and they'll put a price in there. So if your project is too vague, then they're likely to bid too high because they just don't know exactly what's going to be involved in there. So they will, they just have to put some contingency in there. So I do my best to give them as much information as I can in order for them to place a reasonable bid. So for example, when we did this uh, bid for, when we did this project for the logo design, I said, uh, we, put the, we sat down and we wrote a positioning statement and a mission statement, we sent that out there, but it didn't talk to them about color preferences and styles and things like that, because that wasn't relevant for their bid. But knowing a bit about our company and what we were looking for probably was. Right. So I think the key thing when you're putting a project description together, whether you, whether it's one paragraph or one page or, or longer, is just put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself, if I got this cold and I had nothing else to base my bid on, would I be able to give a reasonable estimate of how much it's going to uh, cost? Right. Yeah. Um, and if they can't do that, chances are your bids are going to be too high. You're going to pay too much. Right. Because they're just looking after themselves. Yeah. What, um, have you ever used something like Elines in order to find work? So, from the other perspective? I haven't. I've never been a provider. Um, and I wonder, actually, like I've often thought, like some of these, some of the prices that I can get work done for are just ridiculously low. I wonder how to make any money out of it. Um, but, you know, in some cases I know how to do it. For example, the transcription service, because that is their core business, they use a combination of uh, voice conversion, what's that software called? Voice, voice recognition. Voice recognition yeah. software, translation software, automatic spell checking, automatic grammar checking. Those sort of tools that I don't easily have access to and I don't want to learn how to put them all together. And so they can do a one-hour transcript for $50 US. Right. Yeah. Uh, which just seems silly to me because it takes... So if somebody was transcribing a recording, it would probably take them about two or three hours, yeah. uh, if not more. Um, but they can do it. Um, so I've never done it from, from the opposite, from the other side of the fence. And uh, I guess there's enough, there's enough work for me, and it's specialized work. And I think, so for example, we do web development at first step. And what we work, we work in a very narrow niche. And it's, that web development is a very competitive area. Yeah. And almost all our work comes through referrals. Right. And so we get trusted leads um, who we then convert into clients. And we probably wouldn't be competitive on Elance. Right. So as you said, uh, competing on price in Elance, is, you would be up against it. And so therefore, because of, you're, you're preferring to aim at a particular niche rather than trying to, com to compete on price. Yes. And look, this is a, it's a really good question because I think the key is that if I talk to a client or and they've talked to another client. If I talk to a prospective client and they've already talked to one of my clients, there's a good chance that they know what we do, they understand what we do, they have some understanding that they're getting value for money, not just the lowest price. And as I said, people don't pick necessarily the lowest price, but I think it would be very hard for us to sell ourselves and convince people of our value just through Elance. Right. Right. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, that shows you the great value of the services that are being offered on Elance, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's just, I think it's wonderful that 
business owners have the chance to outsource some of those tasks all around the world. That's right. Yep. It has global reach. Yep. It absolutely does. And I, you know, even though I'm a very patriotic, I'm also um, very, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy that the world is opening up this way. Hmm. Yes, you, you need to be realistic. It's the costs of uh, doing your business through being patriotic, as you've said, uh, put you out of business, then that's not going to help Australia in any way, is it? That's right, and I think what Australia has to do, and without getting preachy and political here, is just recognise that what we do is add value. So, first step, still get business, even though there are people on Elands offering web development for one-fifth or one-tenth of the price. The first step gets business because we offer additional value that is much more than just designing a few web pages. Yeah. And that's a, I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing because businesses who deal with local businesses, um, who are forced to deliver value will eventually get um, more value for money. Yeah. And that value adding, that is essentially your core business, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that's why I think that even though the world is flat, the world is not really flat, <laughs> that uh, there are some things that can be outsourced and there are some things that can't. And, you know, coming back to, right back to where we started, talking about is computer science dead? Well, no, it's not. There are some aspects of IT programming that have become easy to outsource or easy to automate. But computer science as a discipline is about thinking. It's a science. Um, and to say is computer science dead is asking whether it's science dead. And it's not. It never will be. That's right. Yep. Yep. Do you have any last words about outsourcing and whether you're going to be doing any more, whether you're... Uh, happy to be an outsourced resource. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be an outsourced resource as long as <laughs> my job doesn't get outsourced from underneath it, underneath me. Yeah. But even if it did, um, there are other business opportunities such as the one I, I investigated earlier with the e-book. And it, like we said last week uh, with, with regard to uh, starting up um, uh, a, a web blog, things like e-life are just so easy to use and if you've got a project that uh, is the right sort of project for you to outsource or to have someone else doing, it's not core business, then there's nothing to lose by getting that project proposal put up on a place like Elance or Guru or Rentacoda.com and, and seeing what, uh, what sorts of bids are offered for that work. There's, there's, you have nothing to lose, really. So I, I agree. You know, my final word on this is don't let your lack of knowledge about web design or running a, log, a blog or audio editing or anything like that, don't let that stop you. You don't have to let that stop you anymore. Mm. You don't have to learn it all and you don't have to insource it anymore. Yes. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Gihan. Well, let's talk about where people can find out more. As, as usual, we're going to make this podcast, this recording available on our podcast site, which is www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. And they will have links to the various sites that we've talked about. And uh, also people who are listening to this on the blog can have a look at past issues of, the, of our podcast as well. Talk to you in a couple of weeks' time, Chris. Great talking to you, Gihan. Likewise. Again soon. Bye for now. Bye.